This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to another episode of Breaking Pod. I am joined on the other line, as always, by Josh Goldman. Josh, how are you today? I am doing well. It has been a little minute since we last got on this podcast to break down some episodes, but I think we are we have a new schedule that we're going to try to stick to, so hopefully we will be bringing our listeners regular episodes of Breaking Pod because, you know what? This season two is starting to pick up, and season three just rolls. So I'm excited to keep moving through Breaking Bad. I am so excited. And yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that for our listeners. Speaking of listeners, though, we found out that we have a a little bit of a Spotify listener base that we didn't know about, Josh. So we wanted wanted to give a shout out to all of our Spotify listeners out there. Uh, Spotify, by the way, just recently uh, announced that they're acquiring the ringer, which is kind of exciting. Um, That's right. Spotify just buying up all the podcast networks. Yeah, Anchor, The Ringer, Gimlet Media. It's crazy. That's right. Um, Second thing. So yeah, we're going to be doing these weekly from now on. We'll actually be doing them every other week, but doing them two at a time and releasing them weekly. Uh, More importantly, or maybe more uh, more immediately for you, we'll be shortening them quite a bit. So the goal is 30 minutes or less per episode. And that way uh, you can uh, you know, if you listen at one and a half times speed, you can get this done in, you know, 22, 23 minutes. And, uh, and, and that's that, but that's what we're, you know, by the time, by the time we get to the end of season five, we're going to have nailed this. I know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and we just perfect timing. And we always promise to be shorter and we never deliver. But in this case, we are committed and we've actually shortened our show notes accordingly. So, uh, we really, I think are for the first time, Josh genuinely set up to deliver on our promise of a, a shorter more concise episode. There should be a penalty if we don't if we don't hit our thirty minute mark. Maybe it maybe it just stops. The Breaking Bad music kicks in and it oh, just no. the, the the cliffhanger. Yeah, it's, it's not a bad idea. Okay, let's do yeah. that. We'll just kick in the Breaking Bad music if we don't get it done by thirty minutes. Yeah, exactly. Well, should we then go ahead and get started, Josh? Yeah, let's get started. All right. So this episode is season two, episode eight. It is Better Call Saul, an all time classic. If you ask me, Josh, uh, if only because we are introducing one of the greatest characters in television history. Now, that might sound like a bold claim, but I've already said Breaking Bad is the greatest show in television history, and Jimmy McGill, a.k.a. James McGill, a.k.a. Saul Goodman, is indisputably one of the greatest characters in this show. Wouldn't you agree, Josh? There's no question. And in fact, after I rewatched this episode, I think I texted you right away, and I said, this episode is so good. So good. I mean, I've, I forgot how good it was, and I think part of it is because I am now really into Better Call Saul, the spinoff show that focuses on this character, yep. Saul Goodman. Yep. And so watching him and watching his first appearance in Breaking Bad just brought back all the memories of, of how good that character is. And amazingly, you know, it's not something you would think could be a spinoff, but, you know, the spinoff has worked surprisingly well and I think has, in its own way, is an excellent show. Yeah, I totally agree. And by the way, Netflix just uh, released season four of that. It's an AMC show, but it's it's available on Netflix if you're a cord cutter like uh, like me. Um, and I highly encourage listeners to go watch that. It is it's uh, it's gripping in a different way from Breaking Bad. It's it's uh, definitely a different type of story arc. But the the Vince Gilligan fingerprints all are all over it. Um, Absolutely. L- let's talk a little bit more about uh, Saul Goodman down below. Let's start off with the two minute summary. Um, and we're going to be doing something a little bit different here. One of the reasons we've gone long in the past is because I make the two minute summary into like a 20 minute summary. Uh, and in this case, I'm actually just going to the Wikipedia page for these episodes 
and or for the seasons and just um, copying and pasting the summary. So what I'm about to read to you is me reading from Wikipedia. So here's a summary of Better Call Saul, just to jog your memory. Walt and Jesse have yet another problem to deal with when one of their dealers, Jesse's friend Badger, is arrested by the Albuquerque police. That's a great scene, by the way. They end up hiring a shady lawyer, Saul Goodman, who has a unique way of ensuring that Badger gets off with a light sentence without having to give away Jesse or Walt's identity. And just to remind listeners, that unique way is he ends up uh, having Jesse and Walt pay another guy to pretend to be uh, the dealer who Badger turns in. So Badger quote unquote flips on his dealer. This guy poses as the dealer, goes away uh, for the small sum of what, $8,000 I think it was. So um, anyway, continuing to the synopsis, as Walt learns, however, it may come at a very high price. Following the bombing in Juarez, Hank returns to his old job as a DEA agent and is suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. He puts on a brave face, but is having trouble just getting out of bed in the morning. Walt decides to cheer him up and tells him to move on. Through a private investigator, Saul tracks down Walt at the school and offers his services for a cut of the profits. All right, that's the Wikipedia summary. Josh, is there anything that we need to mention in addition to that? No, I think that that about covers it. Perfect. Well, before we get to our best scene, best moment, best writing things, there are some kind of broader thoughts and themes that I want to talk about, like, like we always do. Three things I wanted to, you know, that, that as, as I was kind of re-watching this episode in preparation for today, I was thinking about. First, we already mentioned it, but Saul Goodman, what a, what a stage presence in this show. It's really amazing. His character is played by Bob Odenkirk. Um, he just lights up every single scene he's in, and that happens from the very first scene in which we see him in this episode. Um, through you know through his last episode of of the season or of the show Uh, it's really remarkable i think he he kind of uh, captures this or captivates the viewer in a in a way that few tv show characters can uh different genre of course but i think of him almost as like dwight schrute right like dwight schrute just sort of takes over whatever scene he's in in the office he's just that powerful of a stage presence uh and i think bob bob odenkirk uh playing Saul goodman is kind of the same uh, I was going to ask you, Josh, I know you've seen Little Women, which Bob Odenkirk plays in. How is Bob yes. Odenkirk in that? Because obviously, or maybe not obviously, I would assume it's a much different character than Saul Goodman. Yes, he plays the father of the That's hilarious. Of, of the Little Women. <laughs> and, you know, to be honest, the, the acting in that movie is really, really good. Bob Odenkirk, and I'm not the first person to describe it like this, he's a little bit distracting in the role. Okay. Not because he's bad, but just because he seems a little bit out of place. Like... I think he's so connected he's with like his character. Is Saul? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that he, you know, he went from this really comedic career before he ever did Breaking Bad, right? And then he did Breaking Bad, and now Better Call Saul, and he's really connected with this character that has really become his life, his acting life. And I think that it was just a little weird to see him in that movie. He was good, but it was kind of unnecessary. They could have had really anybody in that role. It's if you know the story of Little Women. The, the character of the father is not a hugely important right. part. Obviously, it's about the women in the story. So, <laughs> uh, but, he, but he was fine. I mean, I will say, though, about his introduction in this episode. So we're going to talk about his, uh, his first main scene in just a little bit. But I do want to give a little shout out to when we first see him on screen, which is in Jesse's apartment, his TV is on and there is a commercial for Saul Goodman's law firm. And it's just so great because if you've watched Better Call Saul, the spinoff, you, it's, it's actually like a prequel to Breaking Bad. So you see how Saul was before he became Saul Goodman when he was Jimmy McGill. But you see elements of his like really cheesy commercial 
making and that's highly you know on on display here and i just i just love that kind of stuff yeah it's totally on brand for saul goodman i i love it as well i mean you see that right from the get-go with the bus stop bench and it's great yeah um okay so saul goodman we'll talk about him a little bit more in our uh, later in this episode um second uh we're going to talk about the walt hank scene in just a moment i think this scene is really remarkable and the walt hank uh dialogue plays a central role i think in sort of highlighting the differences between these two characters Let's look at Walt first. His typical MO is to, when he needs to, act really affected and emotional. Cancer's really bothering me, and I'm so sad about it. Uh, but then, you know, turn it on as a, as a thick-skinned drug lord when he needs to, and threaten whoever he needs to, uh, walk into Tuco's den and, and demand payment, etc. Hank is kind of the opposite. He, he portrays himself as this really tough guy, but actually... On the inside, come to find out, he's... I mean, I don't want to say he's soft. He's clearly suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. But what we see throughout the show is that Hank is a much more sensitive soul than his appearance would suggest. I'm not... Let me be very clear to any listeners. I'm not saying that there's a linkage between his suffering from post-traumatic stress and his being soft. What I'm saying is um, the post-traumatic stress example, I think, highlights... Uh, serves to highlight for the viewer that there is a difference between... Um, Walt's like exterior projected exterior projected persona and his interior life, and he is really uh, he's kind of a, a big teddy bear. I mean, he's he deeply loves his family. Um, he deeply loves his nephew uh, uh, Flynn. <laughs> Breakfast, <laughs> uh, Walt Jr. Um, he deeply loves his brother in law even, and goes out on a limb for his brother brother in law multiple times in the show. He deeply loves his wife, even though she has um, her own psychological problems to deal with, and is seeing a counselor for that. Um, so these two men are really kind of a study in contrast. And I think that this, this episode highlights that in a powerful way as well. And then third, this episode is another one where we see a, a you know, further descent into the abyss for um, Walt and by extension, uh, kind of getting dragged along with him for Jesse. They're now so deep into this project that they have to kidnap a lawyer and threaten to kill him. Whether or not they're actually going to kill him is beside the point. I don't think they ever would, Josh. I don't know about you, but at this point, I think they're not there yet, at least. Um, I don't think so. But they threaten it, right? They try to make him think that we will kill you if you don't do what we want. That's, you know, kidnapping a lawyer, kidnapping law enforcement, killing a lawyer, killing law enforcement. Those are um, very serious lines to cross. Uh, and so the fact that Walt and Jesse are there means that they, they're committed at this point, and they have really uh, got... They've really gotten bought into this in a big way. Well, what's interesting about that in particular is that there's a scene when they do kidnap Saul Goodman and they bring him to the desert. And, you know, Walt is found out that, you know, he, they have to take their masks off essentially because he starts coughing and, and Saul recognizes his cough. But Jesse, you'll notice, is really reluctant to take off his mask. Yes. Which just shows me it's it's a very visual way of showing that Jesse may not be as far along as Walt is here. You know, like he, Walt even has some moments in this episode where he is okay or seems okay with, with sort of offing Badger to settle their problem. And Jesse is like, no way, like we're not going to do that. And, you know, so I definitely think that Jesse's being pulled along this path, whether willingly or not, you know, I think some of it is that he's just a little bit you know he's a little bit just like being pulled along because he doesn't know what else to do and we've talked about how walt is sort of like his father figure and he's just sort of blindly following that but at the same time it doesn't seem like he's quite as far along as walt is at this point 
I think that's an astute observation and absolutely on the money. He is hesitant to take his mask off. He is hesitant to be publicly associated with that, to have any person, even this lawyer that he's never met before, see him as somebody who's wrapped up in this. I think Jesse would prefer to keep the ski mask on, to have uh, some sort of sort of plausible distance from the activities that he's engaged in. And his primary concern, I think, is getting his friend Badger out of custody, whereas Walt's primary concern is how will Badger not turn on me and not, not flip and tell the police who I am. I think even worse than that, though, is how many times in this episode and other episodes, Walt consistently throws Jesse under the bus. He's like, you go do the dirty work. You go in and talk to Saul Goodman because it's your kind of people. You're the you're the like delinquent here. I can't be seen in these situations. And yet it seems like Walt is, you know, further along this path of of negativity and self-destruction. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Should we go ahead and talk about best scene, best writing, best moment? Let's do it. Cool. Well, let's start with best scene. You and I had the had the same best scene for this episode, Josh. And this is the scene that I already talked about briefly between Walt and Hank. Uh, the clip that I'm about to play comes right on the heels of Hank gently telling Walt that he doesn't really think they have anything in common. Walt goes and sees him because Marie tells Walt that Hank's really having a hard time, will barely come out of his bedroom, uh, isn't sleeping, isn't talking. And so Walt goes over and, and sits down to try to talk to Hank thinking that he can you know, maybe, uh, maybe be someone that Hank, Hank will talk to. And Hank says, basically, respectfully, buddy, you and I lead very different lives, uh, implying I'm the, the DEA agent who's out there killing people and almost getting killed. You're the mild-mannered high school chemistry teacher. He says, you know, I don't think we have much in common, so I don't think this is going to work out. And this is Walt's response, which I think is very telling in a number of ways. I have spent my whole life scared Frightened of things that could happen, might happen, might not happen. Fifty years I spent like that. Finding myself awake at three in the morning. But you know what? Ever since my diagnosis, I sleep just fine. Okay. I came to realize it's that fear that's the worst of it. That's the real enemy. So, get up. Get out in the real world. And you kick that bastard as hard as you can right in the teeth. So I think it's, it's ironic. Hank hears Walt saying, get up, get out there in the real world. And probably two things going through his head. One, what does this guy know about the real world? But two, this guy sounds like he knows something about the real world. And this is, this is a very interesting, probably, probably kind of generating a cognitive dissonance there for Hank. What do you think? I think that's possible. Although I think Hank may also think that Walt is talking about the real world in that he's dealing with a very real world problem in cancer. Yeah. And so for Hank, he, he's, he, he's probably not necessarily connecting the fact that Walt may know something about the drug trade because Walt does have this very real illness that he's dealing with that many people around the world deal with. Now, if he was just the mild mannered chemistry teacher and didn't have any other cares in the world, there might be something there where he's like, all right, something might be up here. 
But I think because he has the illness and he's been dealing with this very publicly, you know, in his job and in his life, his family life, his his friends, you know, in, in their lives as well. I think that Hank may not necessarily make that association. What I really like about this scene, though, and the reason that I chose it personally as my best scene is because I was a little bit shocked by Walt's reaction at the very end of the scene because everything up to that is very compassionate. You know, he's like, I know what you're going through. I get it. But instead of continuing with that compassion, he basically gives him a kick in the butt and is like, get up and get out, which we know as the audience is very typical for Walt because he's very much, you know, when he's dealing with the the drug dealers or the people he's selling his meth to, he's very much like that. But his family probably does not see him like that almost ever. And so it's a little bit of a shock that he reacts this way to Hank. And you can almost tell that he kind of really, there's a moment when he looks at Hank right before he goes into this little monologue where he can just sort of tell there's a part of him that wants to tell Hank that I'm this drug kingpin and I'm right under your nose and you never saw it. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that before, how Hank seems to miss some hints here and there, some of them pretty obvious. Yeah. And Walt is just right under his nose the whole time. Hank just never sees it. I do agree with you that this is not one of those examples. This is not Hank dropping a major hint about how I'm secretly involved in the drug trade. But as a viewer, when you're watching this for the first time, when Hank says, we don't have anything in common, and Walt says, what if I told you we do? You're like, oh my <laughs> yeah. goodness, is this, is he, is he going there? Uh, and yeah. no, it's just like, I have cancer, so I do know what it's like to you know, struggle to get out of bed every day. Yeah, and, face adversity. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but uh, you're right. I mean, there are other points where this is right under Hank's nose and he doesn't realize it. But I do think it's interesting. You're, you're exactly right. Walt shows him a side of, of himself that Hank hasn't seen before. And that alone is interesting because it opens up possibilities, I think, for Walt's persona or personality or character that Hank hasn't previously encountered. Now, yeah. he's still kind of blind to that, and, and we'll see that as the show progresses, but it still does reveal a side of Walt that Hank has previously not known. Yeah, exactly. And it's not the last time that we'll see Walt sort of want to tell Hank you know, seemingly wanting to tell Hank what's going on and that he really has outsmarted him. Right, exactly. Should we go on to best writing? Let's do it. Okay, mine's very short here. Uh, it's just, And it's amazing too. It's, it's just, amazing. I think, one of the best lines in the entire uh, episode. This is when, after Saul Goodman uh, goes and uh, talks to Brandon Mayhew, a.k.a. Badger, in prison, uh... Jesse tells Walt, this is the guy that we have to go pay to get Badger out. And uh, Walt's not impressed because they're sitting in the parking lot of a strip mall. That's where this lawyer's office is. Does not look uh, reputable at all. And Walt is thinking, really, this is the guy that we're going to trust to get our, uh, our dealer back on the streets? Uh, I don't think so. So Jesse gives a backstory and says, no, I had to cousin who was gotten off by him and they had him dead to rights etc trust me this is our guy and then jesse drops this little gem then poof dudes like houdini seriously when the going gets tough you don't want a criminal lawyer right you want a criminal lawyer know what i'm saying just brilliant josh you you don't want a criminal <laughs> lawyer you want a criminal lawyer <laughs> yeah it's just perfect because this is another one of those 
this moment, these moments where, you know, Jesse and Walt go back and forth as to who has the upper hand. And in this situation, Jesse here knows more about what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And he's, he's dealt with this kind of person before. And Walt is totally oblivious. He has no idea what they need or what they should be doing. And so I love that line from Jesse because it's, it's smart for the audience because we laugh and we think it's funny, but it's also smart for the character because he is telling Walt exactly what they need in a smart way. Right. Yeah. It's a surprising bit of literary genius from Jesse Pinkman. Exactly. All right. Well, my, yeah, my, best writing, my best writing for this episode is a little bit of a longer scene, and we're just going to hear a little bit of the beginning of that scene. But the reason that I like it is because it establishes a character so well. And that scene is Saul Goodman's first scene. Now, this is not the commercial that we see on the TV, but this is his first scene when he comes into the, the waiting room at the, at the police station, and he's going to talk to Badger. And I just think that it fully encompasses this this character you know the way that he talks the the kind of language that he uses the the way that he interacts and what i love about this is having watched a lot of better call saul the prequel the prequel tv show i think they did a really good job in the prequel of of giving us an idea of how he got to this place so we're going to hear a little bit of that right now all right who do we have Brandon Mayhew. Brandon Mayhew. All right. Brandon Mayhew. Yeah, here we go. Public masturbation. What? I don't get it. What's the kick? Why don't you do it at home like the rest of us with a big flat screen TV, 50 channels of pay-per-view, in a Starbucks. That's nice. <laughs> that ain't me, man. I, I was the guy who was selling meth, allegedly. Okay, all right, I got you. Meth, right. I'm sorry, that was a little transpositional error. Nothing little whiteout can't take care of. That, uh, that final part there, that's just a little transpositional error. Nothing a little white, <laughs> whiteout can't take care of. That's such a quintessentially Saul Goodman line. It's perfect. I love that. And I just think that it, that whole scene, you know, there's more of it than that, but that whole scene is just, it so well encompasses the entire character of Saul Goodman, at least as far as we need to know him now. Now, when you do, if you do go back and watch the the prequel, which the prequel TV show, which I would recommend, you do learn a lot more about the character. But this moment is is just great. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, all right. How about best moment, Josh? What's your choice here? So my best moment here is a little bit visual, but we're going to hear, you know, Jesse uh, trying to figure out where Badger is and, and Walt's kind of come over and, and demanded that he figure out where Badger is, they haven't heard from him, and they don't yet at this point know that he's been arrested for selling meth. And so Walt says, Jesse, you need to call him. And we're going to hear Jesse in this little clip sort of raise his voice and, and try to act as the boss here. But what's really great about this is a certain look that, that Jesse gives, which I'll explain after we hear this little clip. You see Badger? Yo, don't you cover for him, bitch. I ask you a straight up question. I expect a straight up answer. Okay, so so Jesse up to this point has been like laying on his floor. Like we as the audience see that he's he's not very, you know, domineering in this situation, but he raises his voice and he does this, and then he gives Walt this look that's like, I got this. I got this. And Walt sort of looks back at him like, okay, <laughs> I don't necessarily believe you, but okay. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. I, it is mostly visual. I just, I'm glad we could at least play the clip to, to give a little bit of an idea of what that would look like, but you have to see this, uh, this, um, scene. It's, uh, it's just fantastic. He sort of gives like a nod and like a, a half smile, like, mm, okay, I got this. Don't, yeah. don't you worry. Don't you worry. And Walt is like, I'm worrying. I'm worrying. He is definitely. But, you know, just to go back to what we've said before about the father-son relationship, it looks like it could be a son trying to impress his dad, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Look at me being the big man. I can be in charge too. Right, exactly. Uh, um, it's hilarious in a tragic kind of way, I guess. Um, so my best moment is at the very end. So as we discussed, this is the introduction of Saul Goodman. Uh, when they first go to him, he says absolutely not because what they're proposing is um, you know, looks criminal to him. Now, he's not opposed to criminal activity, but he's just uh, hesitant to go for what might be stings, right? So he's like, maybe these guys are undercover, undercover cops. So he has um, his private investigator track them down basically and make sure that they're legit, not in the sense of legal, but legit in the sense of not being cops, like not someone who's going to get him in prison. So then he tracks down Hank. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, tracks down Walt at Walt's high school. He just waltzes into his chemistry room after, uh, after school's over one day and says, really poor security at the school, <laughs> very poor security. Uh, and says, basically, if I could find you, you know, how, how easy do you think it'll be for the feds to do that, et cetera. And, uh, and says, basically, I know about your little operation, your drug operation, et cetera. Um, and then obviously that, that leaves the question for Walt about what he wants. And this is how that conversation goes. It's pretty fantastic. I don't understand. What exactly are you offering to do for me? What did Tom Hagen do for Vito Corleone? I'm no Vito Corleone. <laughs> no shit. Right now you're Fredo. But, you know, with some sound advice and the proper introductions, who knows? I'll tell you one thing, you've got the right product. Anything that gets the DEA's panties in this big a bunch, you're on to something special. And I would like to be a small and silent part of it. A small and silent part of it. So I love this because I, I picked it as my best moment. One, because the writing is great. What did Tom Hagen do for Vito Corleone? They don't, no shit, you're Fredo. Uh, it's just <laughs> it's so classically Saul Goodman. It's just brilliant on all levels. But the, the real thing is this sets up the enduring relationship between Saul and Walt um, as the, uh, the Tom Hagen and Vito Corleone of this show. And uh, it's, it's telling that Walt says, I'm no Vito Corleone. And I mean, there's, a, there's some truth to that, right? He's, a, he's kind of bumbling along and he's a super smart guy, but he doesn't have, he doesn't have the, uh, you know, the fixer or the lawyer to help him turn it into a true empire. So I love this episode because this is a, this is a major inflection point for the broader season. Um, and this conversation right here forges that linkage that's going to be carrying us through many future episodes. Yeah, I, I do love that, that they set this up this way. And I, you know, I just can't imagine the rest of Breaking Bad without Saul Goodman. I mean, he provides such a much needed burst of energy when he's on screen and, and humor when you need it. And so I'm really glad that they did not just make this sort of a one-off character and that they continue to keep him around. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, we are almost to our 30 minutes, Josh. So let's do nits to pick and then we'll do our MVP vote. So uh, I have one nit to pick here. This is when Walt is interrupting the bus at the end when they're trying to get who they think is the drug kingpin, but it's really that guy that they paid $8,000 to pretend to be the kingpin, et cetera. Uh, Walt like, is very disruptive and obviously disruptive to this sting. And I think that would set off alarm bells in Hank's mind because it was so flagrantly obvious and Walt did 
you know, for, for being such a smart guy, he didn't get the picture. And he, it was very clear he was playing stupid as he disrupted the police's or obstructed the police's view of the guy they were trying to arrest. That's my one nit. Yeah, it's totally out of character for Walt. And, you know, I th- I don't think Hank would be fooled. He basically pulls up and blocks their view and then like goes on and on. He's like, wait, you want me to move? Uh, me? me? Oh, wait, okay, are, you, yeah, okay. are you talking to me? I'm and sorry. he says it like five times. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, all right, we, we get it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my, my only nit, nit to pick in this episode is the character of the detective, the undercover cop at the beginning of the yeah, episode yeah. is played by this actor named DJ Qualls who is maybe like the squirreliest looking person That's... I've ever seen. <laughs> so it's perfect for him being undercover, which is fine. But then you see him later in the police station as like the, the, the bad cop, the, the, you know, quote unquote bad cop. And it's like, I don't buy this at all. Yeah, that's like, true. He's not guy, convincing as an actual cop. <laughs> yeah. He's like in his, like his like tie and his, you know, with his badge out. And I'm like, I don't believe this. I just don't buy this. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And, uh, he, I mean, he looks like a, skinny uh calorie deprived meth user when he's on yeah. the streets yeah and, perfect. He's, and he looks like a skinny calorie deprived meth user when he's <laughs> in his cop clothes too not perfect yeah okay time for the mvp tally i'm suspecting we're going to be in agreement on this one i Josh. think we will i think we will i'm gonna go with saul goodman yeah i i am as well all right it's, he, it's hard he's, to it's perfect yeah it's hard to not give it to him in his inaugural episode so i'm gonna give him the two there so that leaves us with jesse eight walt six crazy eight Holding Steady Forever at 2, Skylar 5, Tuco 4, Jane 2, Hank 1, and Saul all of a sudden tied with Crazy 8 and Jane. Walt Jr., a.k.a. Flynn, a.k.a. Breakfast, Holding Steady at 0. Perfect. All right. Love it. Well, we uh, we did it. I think we'll be a little over 30 minutes given the intro and outro music, Josh, but that's it for Breaking Pod. If we miss anything, breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. We'll be back next week talking about Season 2, Episode 9, Four Days Out. For Breaking Pod, I'm Zach. And I'm Josh. Have a great week. <laughs>